The reading this evening is taken from Romans 10, verses 1 to 21. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or, who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead? But what, but what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your hearts. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raises him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Over the years, I've lost count of the number of people who said to me, yes, I'm a Christian. I do unto others as I want them to do to me. That's what it's all about, isn't it? I said, well, it's a bit of it, but there's more to being a Christian than that, or some kind of response along those lines. I mean, yes, Jesus did say that treating others as we would like them to treat us summed up the law and the prophets, and it's been rightly been referred to as the golden rule. But at its core, being a Christian is not about how you live so much as about what you believe. Many people live morally upright lives without being Christians. 
you won't find many people saying Jesus is Lord and believing in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead unless they're Christians. What makes Christians distinctive is not what we do, it's what we believe that makes the difference. In Romans 10, Paul goes so far as to say that Christ is the end of the law. That way of relating to God is done, it's finished, it's over. The righteousness of God is for everyone who believes. Being right with God is not a matter of what you do, of even how you live, but it is a matter of faith. So what do we need to believe then? Do I need to believe the Bible with its stories of a six-day creation, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Methuselah living to the age of 969, God flooding the earth and the extermination of the Canaanites? Many Christians believe these things because they are in the Bible and I've got no quarrel with any of them. Equally, I know Christians who have serious reservations about some of these things, even though they are in the Bible, and yet they are still Christian believers, and I've not got quarrel with them either. How can that be the case? Because the primary object of our faith is not the Bible, it's Jesus. Martin Luther talked about the Bible being like the crib in which the infant Jesus is laid. What's really important is not the crib, but what's in the crib. And so belief in Jesus is the defining factor of what it means to be a Christian. It is the essential element in the scriptures. The first time I ever went to a Baptist church, I heard a sermon by Stanley Voke, who posed the question, is it possible to be a Christian without believing in Jesus? And his answer was an unequivocal no. I I was quite surprised, actually, at the time. Really? Being a Christian is all about believing in Jesus? Well, yes, it is. Bottom line, that is what it's about. The very name Christian gives the game away, doesn't it? It's all about Christ. Take the Christ out of Christian, and all you're left with is a bloke called Ian. And whether it's Ian Jepps or Ian Pinnock, Ian can't save you. He can't forgive your sins or give you eternal life. Only Jesus can do these things. Christ is the essential element in being a Christian. Christ is the essential element in the scriptures. What about believing the Bible then? Well, of course, the Bible is important. We would know so little about Jesus if it wasn't for the Bible. We would know from other stuff that he was executed under Pontius Pilate, that his followers believed he was the Messiah, and believed that he rose again from the dead. But that's not enough to to know whether these reports are true or not, or what we need to do with that information. For that, you need this book. You need the Bible. But the really important thing about the Bible is that it tells us about Jesus. That's why it is the most important book in the world. One of the distinctive things about being a Baptist Christian is that our sole and absolute authority in matters pertaining to faith and practice is our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, who is God manifest in the flesh as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. We don't necessarily believe in Jesus because we believe the Bible. But we do believe in the Bible because everything we need to know about Jesus is in these pages, both in the Old Testament and in the New. In Romans 10, Paul is struggling with the issue of why it is that Israel, God's chosen people, haven't put their trust in Christ. 
The part of his argument that we find in chapter 10 is that they got it into their heads that their relationship with God was all about keeping the law, what they did. And Paul quotes a key text from Leviticus 18.5 that makes precisely that point. Moses sums up what righteousness is under the law is all about by saying that the person who keeps God's decrees and laws will live by them. That was the essence of the first covenant. Do this and you will live. The problem is, as you read on from Leviticus through Deuteronomy and uh, Joshua and Judges and, and Samuel and Kings, you find that the story is that people weren't all that good about doing what God said and living as a result. The problem with keeping the law is that it makes retaining your membership of God's people conditional on keeping the commandments. It's about what you do. And those centuries of human history demonstrated quite conclusively that when it comes to keeping the law, people by and large didn't do very well. So when the first covenant failed because Israel didn't keep the commandments, God promised a new covenant. One in which he would write his law not on tablets of stone this time round, but on people's hearts by his spirit. And he would forgive and forget all of their sins. And Paul saw these promises fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus dying on the cross to deal with our sin. Jesus rising from the dead to give us eternal life. Jesus writing his law of love on our hearts by the Spirit whom he gives to us. And for Paul that was a game changer. Jesus means that relating to God is no longer a matter of keeping the law. It's no longer conditional on how well we do at keeping the commandments. What counts is trusting Christ. What counts is believing in Jesus. That is the righteousness which comes by faith. And that transformed the way which Paul read and understood what we call the Old Testament. In Romans 10, there are ten quotations from all over the Jewish scriptures. One from Leviticus, two from Deuteronomy, with a bit of a psalm thrown in for good measure. One from another psalm, five from Isaiah, and one from Joel. Quite an eclectic group of scriptures. And to us, the basis on which he appeals to all these different Old Testament texts can feel a bit random. But Jews have always loved experimenting with Midrash, which is taking a text of scripture and exploring it and explaining its meaning and relevance in creative ways. Pesha interpretation found in Qumran is about the scripture meant that then, but this is what it means now for us in our situation in the light of what we know. And that's what Paul does here. For him, the key to understanding the whole of the Bible is the truth that Jesus has come. God's Messiah has come. He's died on the cross for our sins. He's risen from the dead and God has given his people the gift of his spirit in Jesus' name. And for Paul, that unlocks the entire Old Testament. 39 books, books of the law, narrative, poetry, wisdom, prophecy, all reflecting different aspects of God's relationship with the world, all unlocked and interpreted and making sense by means of the single key of Jesus. So Paul can take a reference from Deuteronomy chapter 30 and Psalm 107 and understand it in terms of being put right with God by faith through Jesus. Because he's the one who brings God's word near to us and describes it on our heart by his spirit. Christ has done 
everything necessary for our salvation. We don't need to go up to heaven to bring Christ down because Christ has come down from heaven for us. He's taken the initiative and done it for us already. We don't need to go down into the depths. That's where Psalm 107 comes in. We don't need to go down into the depths to bring Christ up from the dead because Christ is risen in resurrection power. And Moses promised that the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart that you might do it. Paul says, well, that, that's only fulfilled in Jesus as God himself writes his word on our hearts by his spirit. That is the fulfillment of the hope. That is what makes it all come true. And Paul says, well, the word in our mouth is the word of faith. The message that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The heart is the organ of belief. It's when we believe in Jesus in our hearts that we are put right with God. And it's with our mouth that we confess that Jesus is Lord and by that confession we are saved. And Paul backs up this with two quotations from Isaiah the prophet and Joel. Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. These are promises that aren't tied to our ability to get it right. They're not conditional on our capacity to do what God requires. They're not for those who make the grade or who almost make the grade, they are open to anyone and everyone, without qualification, without distinction, without restriction. Everyone who believes is put right with God. Everyone who calls on Jesus' name will be saved. The law, the law was for Israel, God's chosen people, and for them alone. But the salvation offered by Jesus is universal doesn't matter what nationality you are, doesn't matter whether you've been good or bad, young or old, what your history is, the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Why would you call on Jesus' name? Simply because he died on the cross and rose again from the dead for you. When Jesus was crucified, he died carrying your sin and mine to deal with it once and for all. You don't need to atone for anything you've done because Jesus has paid the price already. There is nothing you can do or need to do in order to find forgiveness for your past. Jesus has done it all. That's why salvation is a matter of faith. It's not about what you do. It's about believing what Jesus has done for you. In Alpha, the other week, we were thinking about uh, atonement and why did Jesus die for us. And there was that awful report a few few weeks ago about the boy uh, who cut off his hand uh, because he thought he had uh, blasphemed. Uh, The preacher at the front was kind of stirring people up and he said, you know, who here uh, believes... I forget what the first question was, but it was an affirmative answer. said, yes. And he said, who here doesn't believe that Muhammad is the prophet? And because... Everyone stuck their hand up for the first answer. This guy who wasn't listening properly stuck his hand up for the second answer. And he got it wrong. He shouldn't have stuck his hand up. But his response was to go home and cut his hand off because he felt he had dishonoured 
God by what he'd done. And he said, I'm not, I'm not upset by what I did. I needed to atone for what I'd done by cutting off my hand because I dishonoured God in that way. The good news of Jesus is that we don't need to atone for what we've done. We can't atone for what we've done. You can't go back and set it right. You can't go back and sort it out. The good news of Jesus is that God himself atones for our sins. And he's done it through his son, Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus died on the cross. So whatever we've done, however awful it might be, God says, let me take that. Let me deal with that. Let me take the blame for that. So that you can go free. The Bible talks about bearing our sin. There is a, a, a powerful phrase, you know, he shall bear his iniquity. It says, you've done this wrong, you're going to pay the consequences for it. But sometimes God says, I'll bear the iniquity. I'll take it. And that's what Jesus did on the cross, taking our iniquity upon himself. So righteousness by faith says, I can't set it right. I can't sort it out. I have failed. But Jesus can sort that out. Jesus puts me right with God. Jesus takes my sin. Jesus sets right what I can't set right myself. That's why salvation is a matter of faith. It's believing in Jesus because of what he has done for us. And when Jesus rose again from the dead, he did so to give us eternal life. Again, that's something we can't do by ourselves. What can we do to guarantee access to eternal life? What can we pay? How hard can we try? It is beyond our ability. God has done it for us. Again, it is a matter of faith. Jesus rising from the dead to make eternal life available to us as his gift. He is the one who changes our hearts by his spirit to enable us to to live life a different way under his lordship. Again, people get kind of stuck in tram lines, starting to live life a certain way and unable to change, but Jesus can and does change us from the inside out. And again, it's a matter of faith. I can't do it. Jesus, you've done this for me. Do it in my life. And again, why believe in Jesus? Because of the resurrection. Jesus didn't rise from the dead, but his bones are still resting in a tomb somewhere outside Jerusalem. Our faith is a waste of time. That was Paul's view anyway. That's why he talks about believing that God raised Jesus from the dead. Because if it didn't happen, there's no point in believing in Jesus at all. You're still in your sins. There's no resurrection. There's no turnaround. There's no change possible. But because Jesus died and rose again, anything is possible. If Jesus did die on the cross to put you right with God, if he did rise from the dead having conquered sin and death for us, then faith is about making that personal. Not believing in some abstract sense that Jesus died and rose again, but he died and rose again for me. He died to take away my sin. He rose from the dead to give me eternal life. That's why the confession Jesus is Lord is such a personal one. There's good reason to suppose that this is what the earliest Christians declared when they were baptised. Jesus is Lord. I've tried it sometimes, but it doesn't work because people come out of the water and you say, say Jesus is Lord, they're coughing and spluttering and it really doesn't work very well. But the acts of getting baptised declares Jesus is Lord of my life now. He's in charge. I'm living for him. I've put my trust in him. I'm calling on his name. I believe he died to take my sin and rose from the dead to give me eternal life and I'm handing the keys of my life over to him from this day forwards. That's what being a Christian is really all about. The word is near you. 
The good news of Jesus is proclaimed all over the world. And tonight, in this place, or where you are listening to the podcast or the CD, you have heard this word yourself. It has come near you. What will your response be? Paul says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That includes you. And if your life needs saving, redeeming, renewing, then Jesus is the one to do it. Believing in Jesus, that's what makes someone a Christian. That's what saves you. And nothing else will do. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you have come near to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the Word of God, the Word made flesh in your Son. Communicating with us not just through the spoken Word, but through a person, a fellow human being. Thank you that Jesus sent the Spirit to to witness in our hearts that, that you are the living God. And thank you, Lord, for making it a matter of faith, not of works. Thank you that we don't need to atone for what we've done. Thank you that when we fail, your grace is enough. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you rose again from the dead to be Lord of my life. Thank you that you sent the Spirit to write your law on my heart. Lord, tonight I put my trust in you afresh. Forgive my sin. Give me eternal life. Make me part of your family. And direct who I am and how I live from this day forward. Lord, thank you that your word makes it clear that that's what being a Christian is all about. Thank you that it's about grace and faith and Jesus. And thank you that we can put our trust in you, Lord Jesus Christ, believing your promise that no one who calls on you will ever be put to shame. Thank you that our faith is secure in your hands. And we are secure in your hands for all eternity. Amen.